good. So we are continuing our series in 1 Corinthians uh, today. One body, one mission, one gospel. I just want to give a massive big out to Verity. She has designed this amazing slide. And wouldn't you agree, isn't it absolutely amazing? The, the artwork is absolutely on point. Can any, everyone see the 1 Corinthians? Can we see that? Good. Incredible. It took me a little while. It's like, like a magic eye that Ali introduced us to last year, last week, but it's there, and it's absolutely fantastic, really brilliant. But we are continuing our series in 1 Corinthians today, where what we're doing is we're um, just looking at some key themes of the book. So we're not necessarily going through every verse, but we're just picking out some key themes. Excuse me for one minute. Let's get rid of my chewing gum. Uh, so yeah, and today... Uh, Last week, we looked at unity, and we're going to continue looking at uh, key themes in the book uh, today. When I was uh, a teenager, I used to sail a lot, so small sailing boats, uh, one-man sailing boats, uh, and that is not a picture of me, just so we're clear, Uh, but I enjoyed it, but the thing I enjoyed most about sailing, uh, and this is going to sound crazy, and you're probably going to think I'm just making excuses is I enjoyed capsizing. So I enjoyed going over, but not just capsizing where the boat would be, kind of the the mast would be laying along the water, but turtling, it's called, turtling. And that is when the boat flips completely upside down, so the mast, the sails, are pointing down to the bottom of the lake, and you can just see the hull, the bottom of the boat. She has turtled. That is what a turtle looks like. And you can understand why it's given that name, because it looks like a turtle, right? Um, and if you've turtled, apart from me, which, and I enjoyed it because the challenge was to turtle without getting wet. Now, if you look closely, she's wet. So she's not done a good turtle. The skill of a turtle is as, you go, as the boat goes over, is that you jump onto the hull and stay dry, and then again, when you put it back, you kind of like scrabble over and into the boat again, and it is possible, and I used to, wasn't very good at going fast or sailing in a straight line or tacking, turning, anything like that, but give me a a dry turtle, and I would impress many people, because I'd always stay dry, it was like what I enjoyed, but the reality, of course, it's when that is like that, uh, your sailing has not gone super well. And when we get to the book of Corinthians, this letter to the church in Corinth, the reality is that the church has turtled a little bit. It's not going so well. And we heard about Corinth last week, and Al gave us a great uh, explanation about the city, uh, what Corinth was. And he he said it it was a city that prioritized three things, wisdom, power, and spirituality. And it's this, it's this city that was an impressive place, but prioritizing these things, knowledge, power, spirituality. And Jesus, when he envisioned and when he talked about church, he talked about church being different to the world, different to the city, like, like a star shining in the sky or like a city placed on a hill. It would look different to the culture. Uh, but the reality was that the Corinthian church was actually very similar to the culture. It was looking for power and knowledge 
and spirituality in ways that really reflected the culture of the city. It had turtled. And as we go through the book, we recognize that in many different ways. Last week, we heard about this disunity. Who do you follow? That being the most important thing, apparently. We're going to go on to see other things as well. But the church wasn't in a, in a good place. And there's this one part of the boat called the keel or the centerboard that that lady is hanging on to with dear life. If that part of the boat isn't where it should be, then it is impossible to right the boat. It is impossible to get the boat up the right way. What Paul does in his letter to the Corinthian church is he focuses on the keel. He focuses on the centerboard. To this turtled church, he focuses on the one thing that they need to focus on to get the boat the right way up. Without this one thing, it's staying turtled. It's not going anywhere. Just like a sailboat wouldn't go up if the keel, the centerboard, isn't pointing up. So we're going to start reading uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 17. I'm reading from the NIV. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And just to make a note here, Paul is not saying that baptism is not important. Okay, he's recently just said, no, I, I did baptize, I baptized this person, this person. Actually, come to think of it, I baptized quite a few people. And he, he understands the great commission that Jesus said, go, make disciples, baptize. He's not saying it's not important, but he's saying that wasn't his priority, that wasn't his primary message. So what was? How does Paul correct the boat? How do, what does Paul focus on? What is the keel to his message, the centerboard? So Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise. Not many were influential. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Can I get an amen? God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling my message, my preaching, they weren't with wise or persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Amen. What a word. What Paul does as he approaches the turtled boat, as he looks at the keel, the centerboard, the one thing that they need to focus on to get everything else back how it should be running, is this. Chapter 2, verse 2. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. For the apostles, for the early church, the message of the cross, the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified wasn't an optional extra. It was front and center. This was what it was all about. This was the message, if you read in Acts 18, as Paul goes to Corinth and and stays there for a year and a half, about 18 months. This is the message, he says, that he went there with. He didn't go there with a whole bunch of strategy. He went there with the message of the cross. He preaches the cross. Again, Peter, after Pentecost, as the Spirit falls, and as they, as they all are empowered by the Spirit, he says, you crucified Christ. As he talks to people and explains what is happening, the Christ that you crucified. Again, a couple of chapters later, again, he preaches the cross as someone questions him about healing a lame beggar. Christ crucified who you crucified. The message of the cross is central, it is in the middle, it is so important to the early church. Yet, we read in verse 18, the message of the cross is foolish. The message of the cross is weak. So it says in verse 18, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing. It, it doesn't make sense. The message of the cross, it just doesn't make sense. To, to this knowledge center, this Gnostic, this, this, this city that loved knowledge, the message of the cross just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. To other religions, a God coming to a cross and being crucified, it doesn't make sense. The most powerful one becoming crucified, it doesn't make sense. It's, not wisdom, it's foolish to those who are perishing. It just doesn't make sense. What God would put himself on a cross? How does that help? Yet to us who are being saved, Paul says, and here we're thinking, Paul's going to say the opposite of foolish, which would be wisdom. To us being saved, it is the power. 
It's the power of God. The cross is the power of God. There is power in the cross. It is not like power. It is the power of God. It is not good advice. It is the power of God. In worldly thinking, it is not good strategy. Jesus, followers, people worshipping, Hosanna, Hosanna. He's got followers. He's got people following. They're starting to see change, and then he's put on a cross. That is not good strategy when we think about it from worldly standards. It is the power of God. The cross is the power of God. And for all the challenges that, that lay ahead for Paul and the church, Paul reminds them of the message that he planted the church with, which is this, Jesus Christ crucified. A message of power. The power to bring about change. So how is everything else going to start sailing, if you like? How is everything else going to get in order, understanding the centrality of the cross, understanding that there is real power in the cross? It's not just a bit of power. No, there's real power in the cross. It is the power of God. And I wonder what you think when you look at the cross. Now, if we're being completely honest, if we really understand what the cross is like, because we in the West have sanitized the cross. We put it on our arms. We put it on our necklace. We clean it up. We make it nice and shiny. The cross was anything but shiny. The cross wasn't something that you wore proudly around your neck. The cross was a place of utter, utter humiliation. Deep defeat. So horrific that the Romans wouldn't crucify, they wouldn't put their own citizens on that thing because it was so horrific. Jesus, as he hung there naked, and he had soldiers just casting lots for his clothes. Do we think that looks like power? Do we think that looks impressive? The cross looked anything but the power of God. Yet, that is where the power of God is most keenly displayed, on the cross of Christ. And it's on that cross that Jesus, he redefines what power looks like by displaying ultimate strength, ultimate strength in weakness. There's this, um, there's this scene in the garden of Gethsemane as, as Jesus, as the soldiers come to take, as Judas gives him the kiss of death and the soldiers come to take Jesus. And, and Peter, we, we find out, I think it's in John, all four Gospels talk about this. I think it's in John that we find out who it was. The other ones are just like one of the disciples. John obviously had something against Peter. He's like, it was Peter. Peter chops off, just like throws his sword basically at a soldier. He's not a skilled swordsman. He just kind of goes for it, probably trying to kill him, but ends up getting his, his ear. You're not going to take my savior. What are you doing? That doesn't seem like wisdom. That seems like foolishness, Jesus, you getting arrested. I'm gonna get, I've got your back. This is what Jesus says. Do you not think I cannot call on my Father 
and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. A legion is about 6,000, more than 6 times 12. That was that 37 or something, 1,000. <laughs> 68,000, many, many thousands of angels. Do you not think I can't call for my father and he will send thousands and thousands and thousands of angels to do what you clearly can't do by chopping off someone's ear? This must be done. Jesus demonstrates his power by not bringing down the thousands, the legions of angels, but by following the soldiers like a lamb led to the slaughter. That is real power. That is the power of the cross. That is, the power, that is power in the kingdom. Having all the power in the world, but choosing to lay down his life and follow some measly Roman soldiers to the cross. But not only is it the power of God, the cross is also the wisdom of God. And we read that in verse 24. God's wisdom is displayed through the cross. And friends, it's really important that we get this. God's wisdom is just not our wisdom. And so we think we're wise. We think with thousands of years of sort of progress that we're wise and we've, kind of, we've got the answers. I think the reality is that we all know that that just falls very short of reality which is why we have wars, it's why we have conflicts, it's why we have financial problems. We aren't wise. God's wisdom is different to our wisdom. And it's perhaps difficult to hear, but that's very, very good news. I wonder what wisdom we rely on. I wonder what we, where we put our hope, what we even think wisdom is. Perhaps we fall into one of those four camps last week where we had spirituality, where we had uh, sophistication, where we had the serious or the smug. Where, where do we kind of find our comfort? Spirituality, that is where the real wisdom is. No, no, no. No, no, no. Being serious, that's where the real wisdom is. The Bible, we're the Bible guys. Being sophisticated, no, that's where the real wisdom is. Being smug, now that is where the real wisdom is. I wonder, where do we find our wisdom? Where do we hold on? What camp do we fall into? I think if we're being honest, most of us fall in a camp. This is God's wisdom here. Christ crucified. That is the wisdom of God. And it's such an important truth to hold on to and reality to get our heads around because it might look different to what we think it should look like. And part of our discipleship is falling under the headship and the father heart of God and understanding that his wisdom is different to my wisdom, but I follow anyway. It's different to the city's wisdom, but I'm going to follow anyway. It's different to what our politicians say, but I'm going to follow anyway. It's different to what culture says, but I'm going to follow anyway. It's different to what my parents said, but I'm going to follow anyway. Following his wisdom, even if it doesn't seem to make sense to us because everything we have been taught seems to go in the other direction. The arrest of Jesus was not wise according to Peter, and so he fought against it with his sword. The apparent defeat of, of their Messiah, the Jews' Messiah, as they welcomed him into Jerusalem, crying, Hosanna, 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 glory to God in the highest, it was not what they were expecting. It didn't seem wise. 
even Jesus' closest friends, years he's told them that he was going to die. But Peter, again, surely Peter again, you know, as Jesus said, my body is going to be broken, Peter's like, you know, after just being told, you are the rock, I'm going to build my church on you, Jesus says, my body is going to be broken. And Peter's like, no, surely not. Get behind me, Satan. Your, your wisdom is not my wisdom. And as, as, we, as we are looking at events in our own lives, <laughs> as, as we're looking at events in our own lives or around the world, we must allow the truth of God's wisdom to guide us. We must allow that to be what we cling on to. Otherwise, what ends up is we end up fighting back with a sword when actually God is saying, no, lay down your weapons. It's just not our wisdom, God's wisdom. It can look like foolishness. It looks like a Messiah on a cross. Yet it is, it's in exactly these moments that he is at work it's at these moments that everything looks lost. But actually, Jesus, God, is winning. God is at work. And we just see it all through Scripture. And so what is our hope at the moment when we see the current situation of the world? Well, we look back on God's faithfulness and all the horrific stories and the way that the things have played out. And what we see is the hidden hand of God behind it. That God is in control. That God is at work. It just looks different to what we expect it would look like. And friends, Christ crucified, it changes everything. This is the power, this is the wisdom of God. This is why Paul went to Corinth and preached that message. That's why he, is, he arrives. What does he preach? How does he think? Big city, new city, knowledge, spirituality, everything's going off. What does he think? I, I'm going to preach this, Christ and him crucified. But it doesn't just start them off. It doesn't say, just remember kind of that time when you know, I preached you the cross. Kind of try and remember that. It's not just the, the access point to non-believers to get into the kingdom. It is the message that believers hold centrally as we walk in the kingdom. As we... As believers follow Jesus, Paul doesn't say it's just a one-off thing. Now, actually, you need to remember the cross through all of your walk as a believer. And so after you have righted your boat, I don't know if we can go back to the picture of the boat. Daniel, good morning. There we go. Lovely. Uh, after you have righted your boat, what happens with the keel is it, it doesn't become useless, the centerboard doesn't become useless. It wasn't like, okay, I'm only here for when you go up the wrong way. No, the, the centerboard keeps you on track. It is vital, as the wind blows, it is vital for keeping you on track. It keeps you going where you're supposed to go. And Paul is like this, with the, with the message of the cross, it doesn't just get you up upright and then you're off on your own. The message of the cross is front and center all of your journey. So it's not just a one-off thing. It's something that we have to come back to again and again and again. Because, friends, we don't move on to greater doctrines. We like tick that one off. We don't graduate from the college of the cross. We've done that, good. 
Now we move on to the next thing. No, it's front and center. It gets us upright. It keeps us on course. Imagine what our relationships would look like if we always had an eye on the cross. Imagine how beautiful they would be in a world that is so selfish, that is so self-aware, that is so for me. Imagine if in our relationships, in the way that we dealt with our colleagues, in the way that we played sport, and I've got a lot of forgiveness to ask for when I play sport. Anyone who's played paddle will understand how frustrated I can get. But if we had our eyes focused on the cross as we looked to, in relationship with people, how different we would look to the world. I'm not a sunglasses man. My face is like too slim. I always like look like massive sunglasses. So I got like, I found out if I buy kids glasses, what are we thinking? Maria, where are you? I can't actually see anyone. You still here? Right. These are obviously not mine. These are, I can't actually see anything. Um, these are my kids. But when you put those sunglasses on, you can't read your notes. <laughs> you can't, it changes the way the world looks. It looks completely different. It looks a lot darker. It looks different. As a people who follow a saviour who has been crucified, demonstrating his power, demonstrating sacrifice, we put on a different type of glasses to what the world wears. And imagine seeing people through the eyes of sacrifice, through the eyes of the cross. So the next time you're in a position of being right, even in an argument, and you're like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm right on this, Imagine putting on the glasses and saying, no, I lay down my life. Can't take me seriously, can you? Can't take me seriously anyway, so that's not going to help. Imagine as you're in a position of power at work, but instead of lording that over people, you put on your glasses and you look through the cross and you sacrifice and you serve Imagine driving a car and you're in the right. Someone's just cut you up or not signaled again or gone through that red light again, parked in the child parking again. It's my ride, I've got kids. Getting a bit of frustration vented here. Imagine if you put on your glasses and sacrificed and said, no, even though I'm right, we're people of the cross. You go first. I'm going to care for you political positions, sport, conversations with family members that are just so difficult, and you know you were right, what about putting on our glasses and adopting the position of power and wisdom by sacrificing, by saying, I love you, I care for you, I'm going to choose to be quiet. So the cross is not just a starting point to bringing new believers into the kingdom, but it very much helps us sail, helps us live how Christ has called us to live. So last week, how do we come? How do we overcome disunity? We look to the cross. How do we work through disagreements? We look to the cross. How do we approach the Lord's table? We look to the cross. How do we overcome the pride of knowledge. We look 
to the cross. Paul was a very, very clever man, top of his class. But he says that's all nothing, not interested. It's all about the cross. I look to the cross. I choose to know nothing except the cross. So, good first. What is our message? What is our message as a church? And next Saturday, just to uh, repeat Jobin's invitation, it'd be great to have people, everyone there, 10 to 12. We're going to be hearing from the world of New Frontiers, which is really exciting. Uh, we're also going to hear, what are we doing as a church over these next years? Like, where are we going? Oh, I can tell you now that our strategy is actually very simple. It's the cross. It's the cross. Paul's strategy as he heads into Corinth, what was that? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Nothing else. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the strategy. And that is our strategy. I love how Paul uh, uh, bursts some bubbles, shall we say, of the believers. He, he kind of, he, he popped, he, um, that's such an English expression, isn't it? Burst some bubbles. Like, if people thinking they're impressive, he, he's like, no, you're not really impressive. That's what he does as we read uh, from 27 and 28. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. He's kind of saying, guys, you aren't that impressive. You know, in, the, in this church that's, that's focusing on knowledge and, and following these different teams. And, no, you, you really aren't that wise. You really aren't that impressive. Paul says, but then he says this, God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, the nothings. Church in Corinth, you are the nothings, Paul says. Church in Gothenburg, you are the nothings, Paul says. And friends, this is such an important truth. This is so important that we hold on to this in a world that wants to be some things, and pride, and arrogance. Paul reminds the church, no, 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 you weren't wise. You weren't impressive. You're not from the right family. You're the nothings. But God chose to use you to display his wisdom, display his power. And that's what he did with the cross, right? He chose the cross to display his wisdom and to display his power. And now he chooses, he chooses us, the church, to display his wisdom and power as we, we cling to the cross. We are not looking to be a shiny, impressive, brilliant church. We're looking to be a church that focuses on the cross. A church that admits that we're weak, we're foolish, we are the nothings, but he is the everything. That's who we are as a church. That's, that's got to be our message. And it's a beautiful message because it's okay to not be unimpressive. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's okay to not be unimpressive. Now, now, now let's, get a little, let's get a little bit more. Now turn to the person next to you and, sa and say, you're not impressive. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? Okay, okay. Wow, wow, wow. Definitely open a can of worms here. I said not impressive. I didn't say continue saying other things. Okay. God, this is such a freeing truth. God's not looking for shiny Christians. He really isn't. He chooses the weak and foolish. 
I think Albin today, sorry to pick on you, he started playing, I don't know what he was doing, something, singing in the wrong key, when playing in a different key. We're not after a performance. It's like, okay, stop, I'm just going to play, I'm just going to get the right melody or whatever it was that he changed, and then it was great. We're not, we're not looking for the best, the most impressive, the shiny. God chooses the weak and the foolish to shame the wise and the strong. That's what he does. And so, good first, I want to encourage you. Be weak. Embrace your weakness. Tell other people you're not impressive. <laughs> Tell other people it's okay to not be impressive. Why? Because God is impressive. And because we allow him to work through us. So important that we hold on to that. And notice this really, really important word. God chose. He chose you. It wasn't a slump. Luck. It wasn't lucky. He chose the weak and the foolish to shame the wise and the strong. You are not his last option. You are his chosen one. Put in Christ, which is a theme that Paul develops beautifully in like the letter of Ephesians, for example. You were in Christ, chosen before the foundations of the earth. You are his plan. And God, in his wisdom, in his plan, just like the cross, is not calling us to be an impressive people. He's calling us to be unimpressive people, but a people who rely on the power of the cross. As we sang that... Um, consuming fire as we prayed and sang about Holy Spirit we were people who rely on the presence of God the Holy Spirit to empower us Acts 1.8 we all know it well you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit the dynamite of God comes on you not, not when you start like getting better at speaking when you start looking more impressive when you get better at the guitar no when the Holy Spirit comes on you you will be my witnesses in this city the nation and the nations. Friends, tell people about Jesus. Tell people about the risen Messiah. Tell people that Christ is crucified, that even though there's a horrible, horrible reality to the world at the moment, and always has been, this is nothing new, just we have better news sources. Tell people that Jesus Christ and him crucified means that you are loved, means that you are chosen, means that you get hope in a hopeless world, that you get light in a dark world. Friends, that is our message. That is the centrality of the cross. Boast in that. Do not boast in yourself. Boast in the cross. Boast in Jesus Christ. He is wonderful. Amen? Can I get us to stand, please? We're going to get the band up, if that's okay. Uh, We're going to take communion now. Uh, And how we're going to do that today is we're going to go and get communion. Perhaps you're a visitor, just to explain briefly. Uh, We go to the table. There's two tables, or at least one at the back. Um, Go and get some bread. Go and get some wine. Um, And as we take communion, we remember Jesus' body broken and his blood shed for us. We remember that moment on the cross. That's what it's all about. But we also enjoy and we look forward to everything that is going to happen as Jesus one day comes again. So we look back, we look forward, we look in as well. We look at ourselves 
We say sorry if there's anything that we need to say sorry for. And we know that we've been forgiven because of the body, because of the blood, because of Jesus Christ and him crucified. So the band are going to start playing, um, but as they do that, we're going to go and get communion. And then what I want us to do, just for a minute, find someone to quickly pray with, that's fine. Um, Take the communion together, enjoy that victory together, and then we're going to get back into a place of singing worship and really focusing our eyes on Jesus. Because friends, it's all about Jesus. It's as simple as that. It doesn't need to be more complicated. And we do that by reading, we do that by singing, we do that by encouraging one another in voice. So can I release you to go and get some communion now? Please go and do that. Um, Pray with each other for a minute and then we'll worship.